Welcome to the Edge Talk Radio Network, your weekly source for information, empowerment, and connection. The Edge Magazine and its advertisers bring you inspired interviews and conversation on learning and healing, on our sacred journey, and on topics that expand beyond time and space. Now, welcome today's host. Welcome to the June 6, 2017 edition of Learning Well on Edge Talk Radio. My name is Elise Markham-Johns, and I'm delighted to be your host this evening for a conversation with Dr. Joel Kahn. Dr. Kahn believes that plant-based nutrition is the most powerful source of preventive medicine on the planet. He's practiced traditional cardiology since 1983, but now lectures passionately throughout the country about the health benefits of a plant-based anti-aging diet and a holistic lifestyle that incorporates cutting-edge science. His personal mission is to prevent one million heart attacks over the next two years. And his passion for education and prevention is recognized not only by his patients, but also by peer doctors alike. He's the author of the top-selling books, The Whole Heart Solution, and Dead Execs Don't Get Bonuses. Dr. Khan will be joining us in just a few moments. Our hope is that the information that we share with you tonight will not only enhance your health, career, and relationships, but also provide practical tools that can benefit you both personally and professionally. We also hope that these programs will encourage you to take action in your own life and provide information or ideas that you can share with those who are important to you, your family, your friends, your loved ones, and your clients. We want to thank the Integrative Health Education Center at Normandale Community College in Minneapolis, Minnesota for sponsoring Learning Well and helping us bring you conversations with some of the leaders and innovators in the field of integrated health and wellness. As some of you know, the Integrative Health Education Center at Normandale Community College offers a really wide range of classes in the areas of not only traditional health, but also integrative and holistic health for both individuals and for businesses. There are certification programs in a number of health and wellness fields, such as homeopathy, aromatherapy, and healing touch. This fall, well over 100 classes will be offered in a wide range of fields, including essential oils, energy medicine, Qigong, Tai Chi, and Ayurveda. And if you'd like more information about these or other classes and programs at the Integrative Health Education Center, please feel free to call 952-358-8343 or email Normandale at normandale.edu forward slash CE. Before I introduce Dr. Khan, I'd like to acquaint you with some of our guests who will be joining us on future editions of Learning Well. Next month, on July 4th, Valerie Liss will be with us on Learning Well. Valerie is a Certified Expert Emotional Freedom Technique, or EFT, practitioner. She's taught literally hundreds of students and supported thousands of clients to obtain consistent, lasting results through this EFT method. 
Mark Wolin will be our guest on Tuesday, August 1st. He's the director of the Family Constellation Institute, the Inherited Family Trauma Center, and the Hellinger Institute of Northern California. We'll be talking with him about his book, It Didn't Start With You, How Inherited Family Trauma Shapes Who We Are and How to End the Cycle. Carol Krukoff will be joining us on Tuesday, September 1st. Ms. Krukoff is a yoga therapist, fitness expert, and award-winning journalist. She offers private sessions, classes, and workshops at Duke Integrative Medicine and specializes in therapeutic applications of yoga for people who especially deal with health challenges. And on October 3rd, our guest will be Dr. Esther Sternberg. In addition to authoring two best-selling books on the science of the mind-body interaction in illness and healing and the role of place in well-being, she's a pioneer on mind-body stress wellness and environmental interrelationships. And if you're unable to join us for the live broadcast of Learning Well on the first Tuesday of each month at 6 p.m. Central Time, you can always access any of our past Learning Well programs at your convenience by simply Googling Edge Blog Talk Radio Learning Well Archives. Some of our past guests have included Dr. Michael Gregor, best-selling author of How Not to Die, Adam Perlman, head of integrative medicine at Duke University, and Janice Kaplan, author of The Gratitude Diaries. Now, I'm delighted to introduce Dr. Joel Kahn, and as I mentioned earlier, Dr. Kahn is a plant-based cardiologist whose personal mission is to prevent one million heart attacks over the next two years. Dr. Kahn's brand of cardiology combines the best of Western and complementary therapies for total healing. He's known as America's holistic heart doc and graduated summa cum laude from the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. Dr. Kahn has been practicing invasive, interventional, and preventive cardiology in Detroit since 1990. He's a clinical professor of medicine at Wayne State University School of Medicine and associate professor of medicine at Oakland University Beaumont School of Medicine. And in 2013, Dr. Kahn received a certification from the University of South Florida in metabolic cardiology and became the first physician to complete the program in the world. The American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine has also certified Dr. Khan in metabolic cardiology. And over the past 25 years, Dr. Khan has improved the lives of literally thousands of his patients, taking many of them from chronic health issues to vibrant living. His devotion to patient care has earned him top honors, and he's been nominated as a top doctor for cardiology for many years straight. Reader's Digest magazine selected Dr. Khan for their Holistic Heart Doc column, and their publishing arm published his book, The Whole Heart Solution, which is an Amazon number one top-selling book. His second book, Dead Execs Don't Get Bonuses, was published in 2015, and is on the bestseller list as well. Dr. Khan's medical views are published by the Huffington Post and Mind Body Green, and he's a frequent radio, TV, and podcast guest. Dr. Khan also appears regularly on Fox TV2 in Detroit as a health commentator and as a member of the Yahoo Health Advisory Board. Dr. Khan, we're so delighted that you could join us this evening, and since there's so much valuable information to cover, let's just jump right in with some questions, if that's okay. Sounds super. Okay. First, how many people in this country are actually dealing with heart disease, and are we making any progress, or is this figure continuing to increase, and and how does this compare with the number of people dealing with cancer? Yeah, so, uh, you know, quick definition of heart disease uh, or 
we use the term cardiovascular disease because that's very broad. Cardiovascular disease is heart attacks and related problems from blocked arteries, strokes, which is a whole other sector of cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, which is the number one leading cause of death worldwide, congestive heart failure. These are all cardiovascular diseases. But the one that people need to fear slash be proactive about the most is the silent aging and clogging of the three miraculous heart arteries that almost all of us are born with. A couple of us are born with two, but don't feel bad. They do the job. The three miraculous heart arteries. And it's a process that's increasingly common with age. It um, can be so silent that the day you find out is the day a person dies, the day a person has a massive heart attack, or maybe if you're lucky, you find out because you start to get an uncomfortable feeling in your chest during activities, during exertion, shortness of breath, so you can get checked. But that is like picking people up. There's an analogy that was made 70 years ago by a Dr. Dennis Burkett from England, but studying uh, health and issues in Africa, that the medical system, this was his observation 70 years ago. It's so true today. The medical system is like people falling off a waterfall, crashing down on the rocks, getting injured, and we rush in to put them back together at the bottom of the waterfall. And that's what we do. We wait till you're having a heart attack, till you're on truly the edge of disaster or death. Nobody thinks about going to the top of the waterfall and putting up a fence, and that fence is largely lifestyle and early detection. So how common is it? The statistics are between 5 and 10 million people are diagnosed with coronary artery disease in the United States. Um, Nearly a million a year are having heart attacks, some of them, and that indicates how well we're doing. This is their second, third, fourth heart attack. I mean, you would think after one you would get the pattern down to prevent the next few. Um, and, a, and a number of them, it's, of course, a first heart attack. But if you really ask how many people have silent atherosclerosis, silent aging, silent, I call them wrinkles of the heart. It would be so simple if they were just little crow's feet you could see around your eyes as you age. But it's a very, it's actually, it's a tricky concept and unbelievably simple to find out if you're suffering from this condition and it's detectable, it's preventable. You never need to have heart disease 90% of the time. And it is also reversible. So uh, how much better are we doing? Not much better. It's still the number one killer of men and women in the Western society. It was supposed to be surpassed uh, by cancer by now. It hasn't been surpassed. It keeps lingering on. Every time we have a medical advance, like a coronary care unit in the 60s or better treatment of heart attacks in the 80s and 90s, we get a new influence. We get a new chain of fast food, or we get a new butter in your coffee mania, or we get a <laughs> new plastics in our environment that put ourselves at risk, and we get more obese. And so we're chasing our tail and not yet winning. Uh, we're winning the war on heart disease pretty as much as we're winning the war on drugs, as uh, I think it was President Nixon, if I remember, uh, in announced we were going to do. Well, I'm curious because you have been termed an interventional cardiologist and a plant-based cardiologist. Can you share with our listeners what exactly those terms mean? Yeah, and maybe I'd add the term preventive cardiologist so that people are familiar. Interventional cardiologist, you go to medical school, then you train to be an internist, internal medicine. Then you train to be a cardiologist, and now we're about 10 years into it. Then if you want to and can get a spot, 
you can spend another year or two training to put balloons and stents into arteries throughout the body to intervene on blockages, and that's called an interventional cardiologist. So long ago, I trained as an interventional cardiologist, and I put balloons and stents in you know, tens of thousands of people over the years. Um, and it can be a real miracle when you're in the real pickle of being in an emergency room at death's door. It does much less for people if you're electively just being evaluated in the office. A um, plant-based cardiologist isn't really an official term, but it represents, I mean, it's also something I've done now for decades because I elected a plant-based diet interchangeable with the term vegan diet, interchangeable with the term whole food plant-based diet, which is the best description. And I adopted that 40 years ago uh, before I understood the medical, the environmental, and the animal rights implications. I just like the salad bar in Ann Arbor in 1977 more than the very gray meat that was the other option. Um, and so there is a there is a very tiny group of uh, uh, cardiologists who've outed themselves, come out of the closet and said, we eat sprouts and broccoli, not steaks and fries. Um, and most importantly, the immediate past president of the American College of Cardiology, a very prominent heart doctor named Dr. Kim Williams from Chicago, uh, who has adopted this diet about 15 years ago, has really... Uh, because of his very prominent administrative position, kind of brought the uh, awareness up. But it's a very tiny percentage of cardiologists that are known to be plant-based. And the last term is preventive cardiologists. People, and I am, I have morphed from stents to sprouts. I mean, I really have. I mean, focusing on early detection, early prevention, aggressive reversal of heart disease, uh, because this is a disease that nobody needs to have and nobody needs to die of 90% of the time. Genetics are a factor, but lifestyle is the king of this number one killer of men and women. What what led you in this direction? I mean, as you mentioned, you're one of a very small percentage of cardiologists who are approaching things this way. What turned the corner for you? You know, it, it, I, I am a very happy doctor, even though I've been doing it for more than three decades. Um, I think I think the human body is fascinating. I think medicine's fascinating. I think the responsibility we're given is awesome and fascinating. I think the advance in technology is fascinating. But as I evolved my own diet, and coupled with that was always exercise and increasingly a yoga practice and exposure to interesting people in that world. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of brilliance, and I don't consider myself brilliant. Uh, I consider myself open-minded, and there's a phrase, be open-minded, but not so open-minded that your brains fall out. So I'm open-minded, but I maintain my brain. Um, I was open-minded to things that were in our training. I mean, um, really to crystallize it, I finished my cardiology training. I was I graduated a program in Kansas City, Missouri as the top balloon interventional program in the world in 1990. I started a job back in Michigan, my home state, and three weeks later an article was published. I was eating plant-based diet, vegan diet, and an article was published three weeks after I started my job, like fate was pushing me, that Dr. Dean Ornish, a physician I'd never heard of in San Francisco, had documented reversal of heart disease using a lifestyle program that was a plant-based diet plus walking plus stress management, the yoga and meditation. 
And that struck me, maybe because I was ready to receive the information because my diet was there. And if I was going to steakhouses and burger joints, I would, you know, have read the article and said that can't be right and it has no relevance and that's too hard. I didn't think it was too hard. So I've been teaching patients since 1990, not my brilliance, but the brilliance of others. And there are, you know, many layers and generations now of scientific support that the the best diet in every respect is a diet of whole food plants that is 90 to 100 percent plant strong you know the last five percent we can argue about uh president bill clinton reported 20 meals a week are completely whole food plant-based um excellent foods and he likes a piece of fish on friday at lunch and it keeps him motivated and focused i wouldn't criticize him that he's abandoned you know the course in the path so i was open to receive and Nutrition led me to mind body, and then I found out that there were university programs I could go back to on my own time. Others were getting MBAs. Uh, in my associates, I went back and got a advanced degree from University of South Florida School of Medicine in advanced preventive and uh, nutritional cardiology. And anyways, the whole thing, I always joke, I've made one of the most interesting careers just because I like broccoli. And uh, it is. I have a fascinating career now, and I actually document the early presence of cardiovascular disease and the reversal. I mean, it's a power and a humility that I have the appropriate testing to actually show patients. Your arteries are younger now than a year ago. I mean, this isn't what happens in nature. This happens when you know how to hack nature in a positive way. So it's very exciting, but it's very rarely done. Well, I'm assuming and, and uh, that when you are working with most of your patients that when you introduce these concepts, these are pretty radical for most of the people that you're talking to. How how do you introduce it? How do you prepare them and, and get them on board with this? Yeah, so I, I actually have a little flip chart in my office. I go back to the same page for most people, and I call it the the hard upper half and the easy lower half. The hard upper half is nutrition, fitness, and stress socialization. And you know, there's an anthropologist, Margaret Mead, many people have heard of, who said it's easier to change a man's religion than to change his diet. And that really is true. And not only are there um, a very vigorous and unfortunate war amongst medical experts, prominent people, headliners, Twitter, where I'm very active, you know, meat good, meat bad, butter good, butter bad, cheese amazing, cheese not good, Um Little of it science-based, most of it hyped, and I believe, you know, CrossFit gym kind of psychology. I mean, I will not recommend people therapies that aren't in the scientific literature. So obviously going back to it again, adding butter to your coffee, which is a big trend in L.A. and it's moving across the nation, has no scientific support. No doctor should advise it, yet cardiologists advise that. It's insanity. But um, so my first job is to tell patients what I'm going to recommend to you is science-based, and I hand them a DVD called Forks Over Knives, or they go on Netflix and they download it, and they watch a 90-minute documentary by a Ph.D. who was chairman of the Department of Nutrition at Cornell University and another gentleman who was chief of staff at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, Caldwell Esselstyn and Dr. Colin Campbell. And that single 90 minutes, usually with a spouse if there is one or children if they're old enough to watch a decent documentary, moves people tremendously down the road. And it's very time efficient for me because 
I duplicated myself. I don't have to deal with that. And then when they come back, I insist that we confirm they watched it and we talk about it. And if they haven't watched it, I beat them up a little bit. Um, and then usually a couple, one book. You know, if they're open-minded at that point, there's books on reversing diabetes with plant-based nutrition, reversing lupus with plant-based nutrition, reversing heart disease, of course, with plant-based nutrition, losing weight with plant-based nutrition. Some of these are coupled with very simple recipes. And, you know, and then one of the keys we have in Detroit that I wish were duplicated, and then I'll finish my uh, answer to your good question, is doing something new with a group and with social support is much more effective long-term than doing something on your own. When there isn't a supportive spouse or children or coworkers or whatever, when there's a brother-in-law that's going to ridicule you on Thanksgiving for being, I just read in Men's Health that, you know, turkey uh, will make hair grow back on my head, so why aren't you eating the turkey this year? And that stuff happens all the time when people choose to make lifestyle decisions that aren't, quote, normative. So we, uh, we, a patient and myself, founded about three and a half years ago, expecting to form a group of about 25 people that would meet every three months, have a little potluck, and talk about the challenges, kind of a, a support group, challenges of eating a very healthy cardiac plant-based diet, where do you shop, what you run into as an obstacle on travel. That little nidus three and a half years ago is now 4,000 members the largest plant-based support group in the world, and we never anticipated that. It just struck a chord. People like to be in a healthy setting with other like-minded, healthy people supporting each other, and we don't, you know, I don't treat all these people, but there's lectures, there's videos, there's a website. It's called plantbasednutritionsupportgroup.org or pbnsg.org. There's no fee to go to the website. There's nothing really being sold, just a lot of great information. So, Combining a DVD, Forks Over Knives, a book, and getting them to a meeting, it's like AA. I mean, it really is. It's like an AA program where they have friends to walk down the path with. And we've seen remarkable reversals of massive obesity and diabetes type 2 and cardiovascular disease without a doctor really being involved. It's people helping people based on the science, always on the science. Pretty crazy. One of the things that I just found absolutely fascinating in your book, one of the many things in the whole heart solution, was you talked about what an egg McMuffin actually does to your heart arteries. Would you mind sharing that with our listeners? Because I think it's just truly amazing to get that very specific information. Yeah, I agree with you. And there's actually another one about a hospital hamburgers I'll share with you. But you know, I think we all know, and you can talk about that movie, Supersize Me, where for just 30 days, Morgan Sperling ate garbage out of McDonald's and documented his weight gain and his bloating and his brain fog and his lab values deteriorating. You know, and all of us realize that if you ate three meals a day out the window in a yellow bag, or if you did it for 30 years, people are smart enough to know that's not good for your health. But what most people don't realize is that even a single meal of that type has a measurable impact that is very detrimental for your health. So cardiologist Dr. Robert Vogel at University of Maryland, but previously my professor in Ann Arbor, um, did a study where he took healthy young volunteers and they came in twice for breakfast. One morning was a low-fat oatmeal meal, and he had a device on their arm that measures arterial health and function, artery health connected to heart health. And the second morning, in a randomized way, they ate a sausage egg McMuffin right from McDonald's in the wrapper in the bag. We know now the wrapper's as toxic as the 
Egg McMuffin because the wrapper's uh, full of BPA that gets in your food. So don't eat food in a wrapper. Eat food that isn't wrapped like an apple. But anyways, and within less than an hour, you can document that the sausage egg McMuffin. Now, if you combine it with hash browns, it's even more profound. But the sausage egg McMuffin, arterial health was measurably worse. It stayed much below normal for four hours. It actually took six hours to come back to baseline. So if you start your day with a sausage egg McMuffin, and then you have a bucket of KFC for lunch, and then you go to Arby's for a roast beef sandwich for dinner, you spent the majority of your day in arterial coma. And that's just one day, which is why people develop early cardiovascular disease, plus obesity, dementia, erectile dysfunction. Let's give a shout-out for erections. They are what we're supposed to have, and the early loss of erections is a very accurate predictor of early heart disease. I always want to stress that. And then another study was done just even as provocative where they took healthy volunteers and they had them go down and buy a hospital hamburger and they had them eat the hamburger while they had the same kind of device on their arm. And lo and behold, our hospitals served lethal toxic food and their arterial health would deteriorate within an hour of eating the very food a hospital is feeding to the public. And then they had them do that with a big green salad, the same burger. And you can blunt the damage by eating antioxidant-rich food, which is to say brightly colored fruits and vegetables. It's always a winner. So if you're not ready to jump into a fully plant-based diet, if you're going out for an animal-based meal, think about the animal, think about the environment, think about all that, but always couple it with a salad, a broccoli, peas, sweet potatoes, something that's brightly colored and rich in antioxidants. You'll at least blunt, you know, there's nothing like that at McDonald's or Arby's that you can really blunt it with. Uh, do a shot of wheatgrass if you're going to have a sausage egg McMuffin. At least you might be neutral. But we should be working on superior health, not neutral health. But interesting stuff. So I have to, I have to ask you, my husband and I love to make soups, and recently he came across a recipe for bacon bean soup, which included lots of bacon, but also beans, carrots, celery, onions, garlic. And I'm just curious, based on what you just said, would the vegetables in this soup help offset that negative impact of the bacon? Hashtag ban hospital bacon, which happens to be my hashtag. And I, I'm a little odd, but I'm not off my rocker. I'm the only physician in the world that has a Facebook page dedicated to protesting dangerous hospital food called ban hospital processed food. Um, because, and why did I set up that Facebook page and in response to your question, you know, if you're starving on an island, you eat what's available. We're not starving in America. We're overfed in America. We're eating. We're all worried about protein deficiency. We've got excess of everything, particularly excess sugar, salt, and oil, and we're suffering the consequences of it. But you can argue, you know, this food's okay, that food's okay. In October 2015, the World Health Organization and the International Agency for Cancer Research, these are really big really independently funded research uh, groups. They're not vegan groups. They're not meat producers. Announced in October 25, 2015, uh, processed red meats like bacon, ham, pepperoni, salami, bologna cause colorectal cancer. And maybe 50,000 people in this world die every year because they're eating processed red meat. Every two strips of bacon increase your risk of colorectal cancer 18%. And that is hundreds of thousands of people worldwide that are developing colorectal cancer and a substantial number that are getting it directly due to a single food source. 
We have no idea if uncured meats or pasture-fed meats are better because nobody's done the study. I wouldn't buy and assume that it's better if you eat a different form of processed red meats. They're, they're toxic foods. At that point, human nature should be, I don't really want a colectomy. I don't want to have a fistula. I don't want to never poop in a toilet again. I'll give up bacon, processed meat, salami, bologna. There's always plant-based versions. Sure, is a little transition. Um, you want to eat one strip of bacon on your birthday. Okay, like Bill Clinton eats one meal of salmon a week. But wake up, America. Nobody's paid attention since. They've subsequently shown in subsequent research from the same highly revered, uh, or not revered, but respected organizations that, you know, you can dramatically lower your risk of colorectal cancer if you follow these guidelines. And hospitals don't pay attention and people don't pay attention and your husband's not paying attention. So is it probably better that it's in a soup with some beans and I would throw if he's not going to shy away from that bacon, you know, less is better than more, you know, throw some spinach, throw some greens in that along with your beans. But, you know, the best thing is, you know, cut back or cut out for health because, you know, you you don't want to be the person having their colon removed and saying, you know, and having a colostomy and saying, God, I wish I would have five years ago woken up to the idea that there's risk there. And that is incontrovertible data. I don't care where anybody stands on it. That's the science, and the science should be taught. There should be signs in hospitals that say the surgeon general is warning you that eating this meal will cause colorectal cancer at an increased risk, or just don't serve it. But, again, I'm always pointing out to hospitals because they should be the leaders in education. And, unfortunately, I practice at a university hospital that trains doctors that go all over the world that has a Wendy's in the lobby. And, I mean, I protest them almost daily on social media because that's the only way they're ever going to stop enjoying the extra $10,000 a month they make at the, at the deficit of both potentially causing harm, but worse is the educational component. What are sure. they teaching the public when the Baconator fries and the Baconator is available? And you see people walk down with their IV pole to buy the Baconator burger oh. at the University Hospital. That is a picture that's some sort of medical health. That's called Harper University Hospital. Shame, 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 shame. I mean, I'm on staff there. I'm on staff there. I'm a professor there. But I'm allowed to speak out now because I'm an old, crotchety old man. I'm not old. I'm 58. But anyways, I don't well, care anymore. If you don't speak out, you know, nothing changes. Yeah. Well, thank goodness. Thank goodness you are. Well, once someone switches over to a more plant-based diet, how long does it take to actually feel changes or to see actual changes that occur in the body? Um, a very short time. The classic data goes back a while. If you take the sickest heart patients, um, we're talking people clogged up everywhere, been through bypass, not even good candidates anymore for stents or bypass, walk into the mailbox having angina pain, taking nitro, and you convert them to a completely plant-based diet, you stop drowning everything in oil. We can talk about oil, yes, oil, no, but for cardiovascular patients with serious disease, it's not a health food. Um, and, you know, within two to three weeks, there's a 90% reduction in symptoms that represent bad blood flow of the heart. 90% in three weeks, more powerful than any medicine we really know of. And that's documented by their stress test actually improving within a month or two. So this was published in 1983 in a very prominent journal, the Journal of the American Medical Association, published in 1990, published in 1998, and subsequently by others. 
Um, you know, it should be that we celebrated in 1990 and 1983. You know, we've got the cure for heart disease, but the cure is not supported by a lobby, not supported by a pharmaceutical, because there isn't. It's healthy food. Um, it's in the medical literature. It's in the most prestigious journals that are worldwide read. But that's how powerful it is. Now, does that mean your arteries went from 80 years old to 10 years old in three weeks? No. It takes very little change to cause an improvement. Your blood gets a little thinner so it's not clotting. That's important. You know, a 1% improvement in your artery is because of the radius of arteries is a substantial blood flow. So you can have very tiny improvements that lead to very important clinical gains. People feel better. Their erectile function improves. They can walk further. If they stick with it, the gains will be larger and more durable. And do you do you find with your patients that if they start feeling those changes, is that does that motivate people quite a bit, or is it still difficult for most patients? Yeah, you know, the, the population of people with that kind of advanced disease and that kind of advanced symptoms is not large in any single cardiologist practice. I mean, across the nation, it's hard to even judge. It's at 10,000, 20,000 people. It is an issue for the majority of people that aren't suffering like that, and they're making these changes and making mistakes and improving, and, you know, what is the parameter that's motivating them to stay on track? For some, it's adult diabetes, and they're monitoring their blood sugar. And there's no doubt within one week to three weeks, a, a commitment to a much healthier diet will drop people's blood sugar and often will allow them to come off of some or all of their oral medications, one to three weeks. If you go to the Pritikin Center for Longevity in Miami, within one to three weeks, typically the majority of people will be reduced or off adult diabetic medicines. If you go to the McDougal Center in Santa Rosa, California, in just 10 days, that's true. In fact, they often stop oral diabetic medicines the first day to avoid blood sugars plummeting. When you start to feed people beans and greens and sweet potatoes and everything else without uh, oil all over everything. So very rapidly, for some people, it's weight loss is their primary goal. That's going to take a little longer, but, uh, you know, the first week losing four or five pounds will be a big motivator. It's, it's staying focused and not falling off the wagon, which is a challenge with every single, you know, lifestyle alteration. Life happens while you're trying to do the right thing, and you pick up a cigarette again, you know, as an obvious example. Yeah. Well, if you, if you had to pick the five absolutely worst things that any of us could eat <laughs> that we should absolutely eliminate from our diet, what would those be? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I would put, um, you know, I would put processed red meat, if not at the top, you know, certainly in the top five, maybe in the top. Um, they're associated with, I already said, with colorectal cancer and other cancers pancreatic cancer, prostate cancer, breast cancer. They're associated with an increased risk of a terrible cardiac disease called congestive heart failure, and they're associated with adult diabetes, and they're associated with developing cardiovascular disease, the clogged arteries we talked about. You know, associated. We've proved it for colorectal cancer. There's only millions of data points that connect the other conditions, but you have to be honest with the data. Uh, you know, it could be the person eating salami, bologna, and bacon, is also never exercising, smoking, and sleeping two hours a night. It's a whole bacon-related lifestyle, perhaps, um, hot dog-related lifestyle. Um, 
number two would be probably pastries. Interestingly, there's a researcher who's passed on 20 years ago, Dr. Ansel Keys from the University of Minnesota. Well, when he did really groundbreaking studies in the 60s and 70s called the Seven Country Study, the number one food most associated with developing cardiovascular disease was pastries. And right below that was butter. Um, and right below that was meat. But pastries are like the perfect storm because you've got processed white flour, you've got processed white sugar, you've got either butter or uh, a corn oil or back then, you know, uh, hydrogenated vegetable oils rich in trans fats. So that croissant in France or that, um, you know, sweet roll in other parts of uh, Europe where he was studying this uh, was actually the number one food. So hey, let's just say the Starbucks pastry counter. That's number okay. two. You know, okay. uh, you can put, put the Frappuccino right in there with it in the pumpkin spice latte, but that's number two. Um, number three is chicken. Chicken. Number chicken is the number one or two source of salt in the American diet. One because people eat, I forget if it's 88 billion chickens a year in the United States, you know, the rate of chicken consumption has overtaken red meat and pork and such, because there's this concept that chicken is a health food. You need chicken to build muscle, chicken, chicken, chicken. You know, it carries hormones and antibiotics. It has cholesterol. It has saturated fat. But they inject, and I'm not talking, again, the best farmer in the United States who loves chickens and their free range and knows them all by name and all. I'm talking about how 95% of America eats, they will very often inject the, the breast of the chicken with salt water. So when it gets weighed and sold, they make more money per breast. And it is a highly concentrated source of a lot of bad things for us, including um, very high rate of E. coli infections. If you study the bacteria of women who have E. coli urinary tract infections, or men, but it's more common in women, it's very often exactly the same strain of the chicken they prepared the night before for their family in their kitchen, if you do that study. It's on their cutting board, it's on their knife, and it's in their bladder. It's the exact same strain. So it's, mm. you know, it, with these super antibiotic uh, uh, that are used to try and maintain the one million chicken fryers that are, you know, in a, in a warehouse being produced like they're gym shoes, but they're living animals, uh, has, is actually rotten. Uh, number four, we'll just, to uh, sweetened sugar, sugar sweetened beverages, whether it's Coca Cola, Mountain Dew, Amp, you know, Red Bull, uh, Frappuccino, you know, sugar in limited amounts is not particularly toxic. Sugar in the 135 pounds a year, the average, and I eat very little sugar, so if the average is 135 pounds a year, somebody's eating 270, um, you know, added sugar, never fruit. Eat all the fruit you want. Eat fruit morning, night, and day. I don't care if you eat only fruit your whole life you'll be healthier than the average American. But uh, added sugar is a destroyer. And number five, cheese. I'll put cheese up there. Cheese is an addictive substance. That's a scientific statement. There are um, chemicals that are naturally in cheese called casomorphones. They're chemically related to morphine. People go through cheese withdrawal when they stop. Cheese is very high in salt, very high in saturated fat. Uh, it's the number one source of saturated fat in the American diet. And there are cardiologists telling you to eat more full-fat cheese. And it's insanity. And, I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. They pick a single study. But if you look at the overall predominance of the diet, the Mediterranean diet that everybody loves, which is the model of eat less red meat and more fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and olive oil instead of butter and lard, 
does not have a cheese component to any high amount. It's been bastardized to uh, have a high cheese amount for profit and lobbyists, but it just doesn't exist. Of course, there's pockets in Europe that produce wonderful cheeses in small amounts, but it's not a big component of the Mediterranean diet or any healthy diet. You know, what people should look at uh, in my recommendation is look at bluezones.com, a website that maybe you've spoken before in this uh, interview, but um, it's an analysis of the five places in the world where more people live over age 100 than anywhere else. There's no vegan money behind it. There's no, you know, conspiracy therapy. If you're going to live over 100 and still be able to do crossword puzzles and go to church and other things, what do they do? Their diets are 90% plus plant-based diets, even though one's in Japan, one's in Greece, one's in Costa Rica, one's in the United States, and one's in um, Italy, uh, if I didn't say Italy. So it's all, you know, it's across the world, but that's a model. And there's a brand new book out, I think it's called The Blue Zone Solution. It's about the fifth book. Uh, representing different aspects of what we've learned by studying these pockets of centenarians. You know, taking off to a slightly different track, one of the things that I found most fascinating in your book were the diagnostic tests that you talked about that help identify heart disease. Because I think if you ask most Americans, the first thing most of us would respond with would be the stress test, because many of us have gone through that. But there's, there are other tests that you say are not used on a regular basis, which really can determine if we're experiencing or on the verge of experiencing heart disease. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about some of those tests? Yeah, I'm actually so glad you asked that question um, because that's uh, it's not like I have opinions on everything in life. I really don't, but I have a lot of opinions about cardiovascular health, and that's after, again, about 30 years of practice. So it turns out you're 50 years old. The American College of Cardiology, my parents' kind of organization, I pay dues to. I'm a, what's called a fellow of the American College of Cardiology. doesn't mean I buy into everything they say, but I should probably pay attention to a lot of it. Um, says don't do a stress test at age 50. In fact, they say it's harmful because if you're walking to your doctor's office saying, I feel fine, a stress test, and there's a variety of kinds of stress tests, have a very large percentage, we call them false positives. The result comes back abnormal. There never was anything wrong with you. But you're going to get more tests, and some of them can be dangerous. The things that I've done for 30 years, putting tubes in your body and arteries can be injured, and people can actually die from the test. On the other hand, it misses a large number of actually blocked arteries. So it's a rotten test, and it's considered inappropriate for the average American, even though many executive programs Ignore the American College of Cardiology, whether it's Cleveland Clinic, Mayo, of the hospitals, and you're 50 years old and your company's paying, you're going to get a stress test. You're opening Pandora's door with a very ineffective test. On the other hand, there's a lot of silent heart disease at age 40, 45, 50. So about 20 years ago, a CAT scan of the heart was developed to do better than the stress test. And literally, you lay down on a stretcher, you get rolled in a CAT scan, there's no IV, there's no medication, there's no iodine, there's no exercise. It takes 10 seconds to hold your breath, and you roll out, and you're done. You go home. You don't even have to take your shirt off. And the science over the last 20 years says this is by far the single most accurate way to silent heart artery aging, wrinkles, atherosclerosis. Some people call it a coronary artery calcium scan, CACS. Some people call it a heart artery calcium scan, 
or heart artery calcium CT because it's the calcification. We've known for 100 years that when arteries get affected by atherosclerosis, calcium is part of the mixture of the plaque, and calcium shows up on a CAT scan like a bright light on a dark night, and there's never any calcium in the heart. So even a little bit in a plaque shows up bright light and um, bright white. And there's a software program that gives you a number. If your number's zero, and I routinely celebrate with people that are 40 or 70, you've got a heart score of zero. This is the best news for the next 10 years. You didn't screw your body up with whatever you did earlier in life. Now's the time to make your changes because you actually preserved good heart health. And I tell other people that, you know, you're 30 years older than your driver's license age, and we've got work to do, and this is no joke because the data is the higher your score, the higher your chance of dying or having a heart attack in the next five to ten years. Over 2,000 research studies, some of them just massive. It's rarely paid for by insurance because we live in a screwy world. The most accurate test is self-paid. used to be about $1,000 in my community Hospitals charge between $75 and $125. In Texas, it's a universally offered benefit at age 50 because a legislator got very upset when he learned after his heart attack that he could have learned five years or four years earlier that he had a silent disease he could work on. So there is an amazing documentary. I mentioned one already called Forks Over Knives. My second most favorite documentary is called The Widowmaker Movie. It's on Netflix. It's a fascinating uh, conspiracy dive into why more people have never heard of a heart artery calcium scan. There is another ultrasound, a test. It's an ultrasound. So the, the amount of radiation from this CAT scan is equivalent to a mammogram. It's in fact often called the heart mammogram because it's the equivalent kind of screening you do at age 40 or 50. It's a low dose of radiation. If you don't want any, you can do an ultrasound of the arteries to your brain called the carotid arteries. It's called a CIMT. I do it in my cardiac prevention clinic, but there's maybe two or three in the state of Michigan that offer it. So in your state, it may be quite hard to track down other than in a university center. Um, And then get advanced labs. I'll just mention one. There's a form of cholesterol called lipoprotein A, L-I-P-O protein A, or L-P-A. It's become popular in the news if you read what I read because the biggest loser trainer, Bob Harper, who dropped dead in a gym at age 51 in February, but got revived because there was an automated defibrillator right there and a doctor, announced on the Dr. Oz show a month later, you know, I, I work out, I'm fit, but I had a heart attack and I had a blocked artery that required a stent because I inherited a form of cholesterol I never knew I had called lipoprotein A. And everybody should know once that their level is normal or elevated. Normal values are under 30 I have many, many patients in my practice that their value is 300, 400, 500. These people develop rapidly clogged arteries. This is all known scientific information. There's something called the lipoproteinafoundation.org that has a great website on this all. The confusion is what do you do about it if you're high? Um, You know, the standard statement is do everything else right. Don't smoke, exercise, eat your plants, get your cholesterol and blood sugar and blood pressure down and relatively ignore the lipoprotein A, the feeling of the medical community is there's no specific drug at this time that lowers lipoprotein A. The reality is there are, but we don't know for sure what the benefit is. So the simple over-the-counter B vitamin niacin lowers lipoprotein A. There's other things that lower it. There's now a prescription drug that lowers it. 
but there isn't any particular drug that's reimbursed for lowering it. So we need more information, but since there's been, it's always back to money, unfortunately. Since niacin is a cheap little vitamin that is off patent, nobody's going to benefit if we prove that niacin actually saves lives by lowering lipoprotein A. And I just feel with my patients, I'm not going to wait. So get the CAT scan, get the blood work, get the lipoprotein A. If anybody Googles my name, I've written an article on a website called Thrillist.com. Just Google heart attack tests and about six months ago, and I go through every single test that you might want to get if you want to know as much about your health as you know about your vacation you're planning. Great. And and also, of course, in your Whole Heart Solution book, it's written out in great detail. I encourage people to check out either the Thrillist um, location that you mentioned or your book to get that really important information. And Dr. Khan, okay, this is a really naive question, but here we have these these tests that, that can identify this issue and and hopefully pre- can encourage people to pre- you know use preventive kinds of activities and diet, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Why is this not being utilized? I mean, I would think the insurance companies would relish the fact that here's something where people we can prevent some of the costs that we might have to pay. Is yeah. anything at changing? the present time, you know, at the present time, because when you think about it, it's $75 to get the CAT scan. You know, you tell a person you've got early heart disease, here's a nutritional program, here's an exercise program, here's some fitness apps, sleep's important, you got to manage your stress. I mean, this is what kind of corporate wellness programs are doing pretty well, and God forbid even some medical centers are doing pretty well. But uh, and then you talk about a stent might be $20,000 and a bypass might be $50,000. They don't actually change anything about the person. They just bypass the problem, which can be a very important, you know, benefit at the time, but they change nothing about the reason you develop, you know, prematurely aged arteries that put your health at risk. So at the present time, the way I practice cardiology has not been studied to prove Here's 5,000 people that we treated under current programming. Here's 5,000 people that went for a $75 test and had a couple, maybe $100 worth of advanced lab work, and then were really counseled on where their risk was. And at the end of 10 years, we identified that we saved 20% of lives by this, not expensive, but a little bit more specific and um, advanced approach. It's simp- there's nobody going to fund that study at the present time where they'll, of course, spend, you know, half a million dollars funding a new cancer drug because then they can, you know, sell it. It doesn't mean all a big pharma is bad, but they're not going to do this. And GE isn't going to do this, you know, a, a manufacturer of CAT scans and such because this is a $75 test or a $100 test. So, you know, there is not yet. Uh, that I'm aware of, you know, the kind of trial that will change policy. But frankly, people can get smart on their own and people can, you know, practice self-care and get educated. And, um, you know, there are a lot of good resources that people can find. But you have to dig for them. And I thank you, yeah, the Whole Heart Solution is certainly one resource that people can go to and learn more about this. And, you know, I don't own a CAT scanner. If you get a CAT scan for $75, you know, I didn't pay for my kids' college. It's just the right thing to tell people to do. And just talking about the fact that, obviously, you 
pay yourself instead of insurance companies paying for these. But you indicate also in your book that someplace it's important to check around to see what the costs of these are. Even in one community, the price can vary tremendously from hospital to clinic. Is is that accurate? Yeah, uh, the blood works pretty much runs your insurance, but the CAT scan, you know, 10 years ago, Oprah used to do the famous Oprah, you know, quite a few numbers about this stuff or shows about it. And the test was as much as $1,000 in some communities. Um, Most are down in this $100 range. But, I mean, there's still a few hospitals charging $350. It's all the same test. And if you call, you know, you may have to be persistent, but if you call the top three or four medium to large size um, hospitals in your area, you will find one that's doing it for a reasonable amount. Let's, we've, we've talked about diet. Uh, certainly could spend more time talking there, but you know, this time is slipping away. I can't believe how quickly. And I know there's so many other things that you cover in your book about lifestyle, including environmental issues, um, obviously exercise. Um, what other things do you feel we should really focus on this evening that would be of most help to our listeners? Yeah, I, I just would have people elevate sleep. Uh, uh, two last topics that I'd come up with. Sleep as no longer a luxury. Sleep as a uh, social status. That if you can arrange your life, um, that you can get seven to eight hours of sleep on a regular basis, there's always going to be an occasional time. You know, they talk about uh, Ariana Huffington has made this a big issue in her current kind of writings and books that, you know, sleep is a status symbol. We used to brag about, well, we used to brag about getting up at four in the morning to go to the gym and beat ourselves up an hour and a half long spin classes. The current status symbol is to say, I, I can control my life and get seven hours, eight hours of sleep. It's unbelievably restorative. It helps with brain function long-term. helps with weight management long-term. helps with avoiding adult diabetes long-term. And it makes life much more joyful. You also function better at work and improve the executive function, you know, for all. So don't shortcut sleep. I mean, don't sleep when you're dead. Catching up on the weekend has not been shown to be really all that helpful. It may be very hard. So you may have to alter your exercise program to lunchtime after work. You may have to do shorter, more intense, high-end intensity interval training workouts um, and save a longer workout for a weekend, but get your sleep. The second and last thing I just talk about, there's um, I'm absolutely, the thing I'm most excited about for cardiovascular medicine and even beyond that in the last six to 12 months is I've been following the world's leading expert in aging and longevity a professor at University of Southern California, L.A., named Dr. Walter Longo, V-A-L-T-R-L-O-N-G-O. He's about 48, 49 years old. Um, and I've been reading his articles, and he leans towards plant-based nutrition, and he's been credited for identifying why our cells age, why our bodies age. He's nominated for the Nobel Prize in Medicine. That's the level at which his research is at. But he's also been searching, God bless him, for solutions. And he's been studying various types of fasting. There's no religious historical reasons to fast, and there's been some medical evidence for fasting. Churches do something called the Daniel Fast. But he has patented a five-day program that's called Fasting Mimicking Diets, FMD. Why is it mimicking? Because he's constructed a five-day consecutive fast that you do once a month 
but the ingredients allow you to eat between 800 and 1,000 calories a day, whereas many fasts take you down to 500 or less calories a day. So you're really feeling hungry, woozy, hangry. But on 800 to 1,000 calories a day, and it happens to be organic, plant-based, uh, olives, nuts, soups, herbal teas, and such. And he has published from yeast to mice to humans remarkable findings that promote longevity, anti-aging, cancer regression, reversal of diabetes, cholesterol, blood pressure, and most importantly, weight, and not your muscle but your fat weight, your visceral fat around your belly. This has been commercialized as a business that I don't own called Prolon FMD. Prolon, like the word prolong, without the G, fmd.com. And I came across this about five months ago, and I knew his research. I said, holy moly, this is, this is like simple but powerful when I read his research. And I have now had more than 100 patients join me. I've done it myself for four months. Patients have done this between two and four months. And they are cackling with happiness because – they're, you know, it, this is not Atkins Crash Diet or the HCG Diet. This is the most scientifically supported way to hack your weight, hack your aging, hack your blood sugar, hack your blood pressure. And I think it's a solution for so many people. Now, it's not inexpensive because you actually buy a box from this university invested company. It's a USC startup. You buy you buy the exact food you eat for five days, which makes it very simple but if they don't give it away, you invest in your health and you benefit from it. So I call myself the prolon whisperer. Every time I say the word, I lose a pound. If I open the box and look at it. And I've never, I've been a 40-year vegan. I've never had a way. I never gained a pound. I never lost a pound. But I never lost a pound, and I was trying. And uh, this thing has just been remarkable for me personally. But more importantly, patients are emailing me. I finished the five days, and can't believe I'm nine pounds down, I'm eight pounds down, I'm six pounds down. I had energy, I slept better, my skin looks better. And if they repeat the cycle, the three months that's recommended or more if you want to, anybody can enjoy uh, this really amazing medical breakthrough, in my opinion. And can you, can you repeat that so, so our listeners can jot yeah, it down so if they, they need it's to? It's actually a startup, but, but it's, the, the box is called Prolon, P-R-O-L-O-N, and the website is ProlonFMD.com or okay, ProlonFastingMimicking.com. Yeah. Thank you. Um, now, even if people have blood blood sugar issues, this isn't going to be a problem for them. Well, there is. There are some medical precautions. Certainly, people with brittle blood sugar going up and down. Um, this is a calorie restricted diet. People inject themselves with insulin. They should do this with their medical supervision and review it with their physician. Okay. Um, for a person that's been told, hey, Joe, Jane, your blood sugar's up, you better improve it by your next visit in two to three months and not on, you know, unstable medicines, this lowers blood sugar and cholesterol and blood pressure, and it's actually a solution. Um, and it's it's more than weight. There's some fascinating basic science that it may actually do some very helpful things to our pancreas where we make insulin, but the science is profound. There's like 50 scientific articles, which anybody can try and read on the website if they're into reading scientific articles. This is a wonderful positive note to end on. I want to thank you so much for being with us this evening. Your work is not only inspiring, but it's life-saving. And I just highly recommend your book to our listeners, and thank you so much for being with us this evening. 
I enjoyed it thoroughly, and you asked some great questions. And, yeah, I agree. I hope we really touch some people to say, I'll go get a heart calcium scan. I'll go get my lipoprotein A check. I'll go read about Prolon. I'll get sleep better because, you know, those simple, I'll stop eating bacon. You know, we talk about these things. I'll write an angry letter to my hospital administrator to stop serving, you know, damaging food to uh, my family, friends, and, and coworkers and such in the hospitals. Because we have to, you know, move the healthcare needle towards self-care prevention immediately because we are in a bit of a pickle in this country and in the Western world. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I want to thank Dr. Joel Kahn for being with us. I want to thank the Integrative Health Education Center at Normandale. And we also encourage you to join us next month as well for Learning Well. Good evening. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.